you can't get to empathy if you're being judgmental. And there's a difference. And again, judgment like empathy has multiple facets. So there's making a judgment. Do I walk down that dark alley or not? But then there's being judgmental, which is the casting aspersion against somebody else coming from your own biases, your stereotypes, your lived experiences that you're carrying. If we can get people to not be judgmental in their interactions with each other, that would be a huge first step. The way I write about it in my book, the judgment is like a brick wall. It gets in your way. If you don't dismantle the brick wall, it's you know endlessly high. You're not gonna just jump over it. You've got to be able to get beyond it and you've got to dismantle it in order to get beyond that obstacle and get towards judgment. And if you can't do that, the rest of the steps, you can't do it because everything that you're doing is then being clouded by this judgment, by these biases, by these stereotypes, by these thoughts that you've got. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equity, equality, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace and beyond. We all know that demonstrating empathy is critical to developing relationships. But did you know that empathy is actually critical to business success? A study by the consulting firm Catalyst examining 889 employees found that when leaders are empathetic, 61% of employees are likely to innovate compared to only 13% of employees with less empathetic leaders. 76% of people who experienced empathy from their leaders reported that they were more engaged in their work compared to 32% of people who had leaders who were less empathetic. 50% of people with empathetic leaders reported that their workplace was inclusive compared to only 17% of people whose leaders were less empathetic. Empathetic leaders can also help employees navigate the demands of work life successfully. So clearly, there is a link between empathy and better business outcomes. The challenge is, how do we make empathy a regular business practice? Just as physical workouts strengthen your body, well, allegedly, that's what people tell me anyway, there are ways to build up your empathy as well. In the book called Tell Me More About That, brand strategist and thought leader Rob Volpe draws on years of research, conducting thousands of in-home interviews with everyday people to illustrate the five steps to empathy. These are the actions that you and I and anyone can take to build a strong and reflexive empathy muscle. Rob is joining us on today's podcast episode to share some of these insights. And I asked Rob to start us off by explaining what empathy is, what it isn't, and the different kinds of empathy that we may experience. Empathy gets associated with emotion. And so I sometimes describe it, it's the E word or one of the E words that people are afraid of, like emotion and empathy. It's all these words with EM in it. But the reality is we're all born with the ability to have empathy. It's something that's an innate skill. It's like a muscle in our bodies. But then as we develop, we have to be in situations and have opportunities to develop our empathy skills. And there's been a challenge in society over the last 30 plus years where empathy skills have been in decline. So what I call the study of studies came out in 2010 from the University of Michigan. They looked at university surveys in the United States, 76 different universities from 1979 to 2009. 
And they found a 40% decline in the ability of students to see the point of view of their classmates. It was 40% less in 2001 than it was in 1979. And it never popped back up or anything like that. And it's just seeing the point of view. It's not even feeling the feelings of somebody, the ability to actually see the point of view of other people. I first heard that in 2010 when the study results came out and I was like, oh goodness, like somebody that was in college in 2001 is, you know, in 2010, they were going to be about 30. And now in 2022, they're going to be in their forties. And that means that they're a parent, they're a contributor in the workplace, they're a member of society, and they're moving through the world with a lot less empathy skills. And I think it's only been made worse through social media and all the things that have happened since 2010, as we've seen play out in society. Something else that I like to tell people, though, is there's actually two different types of empathy, cognitive empathy. It's just to be able to see the point of view of somebody else. The other type of empathy that I talk about is emotional empathy or affective empathy. And that's the feeling the feelings of other people as they're feeling it. And the analogy that I like to use, emotional empathy is what you have with the people that might be like, you know, in your cave, if we were back in prehistoric times, that's your family members. It's the people that are really absolutely closest to you, that you have shared rituals and beliefs and behaviors, and you've had all of this time to be together and you can connect and understand. Cognitive empathy is what you use when the person from the cave down the road comes over and they need something. And you've got to actually work together to solve a problem, to collaborate, to communicate, to build trust, to reach forgiveness, compassion, all the things that empathy can enable. You're using a lot of cognitive empathy with people that are other from you. And so in the workplace, in that example, you're not in a cave, even though you're spending all this time with people, they are other from you in so many different ways. And it's not other in a bad way. It's not like the right versus the left in politics or something like that. It's just that they're different. They've grown up in different ways. They have different opinions and beliefs and behaviors, and that's okay. But we need to use cognitive empathy in order to understand other people. As part of the work I do helping leaders become more inclusive, I've noticed a pattern there are a handful of leaders who tend to really struggle with bridging their differences with others. The challenge is that often these leaders believe their position or point of view is neutral or average. It represents what most people experience, but this isn't true. We all have different experiences of working life because we are all different, and our differences are experienced differently in our workplace. So how can we all develop the empathy muscle if we actually have no idea what someone's real lived experience of working life is. Here Rob shares the five steps to practicing empathy. What we need to do first and foremost is model the behavior that we want to see and be the change that we want to see in the world. So that's the first piece. That doesn't necessarily help though if you've got some old white guy who's you know denying that these things actually exist. So what you need to start to do is understand what's getting in his way. What are the barriers there? And so at Ignite360, we developed what we call the five steps to empathy, because we were really looking at, you know, as qualitative researchers, we're constantly having to build empathy with other people and that have very different opinions and perspectives and beliefs from us, and then helping our clients make that empathetic connection because they're talking to their consumer. 
And so we started looking at our own behavior, at our clients' behavior, at what else was happening and what was getting in the way. And we found that like one of the biggest barriers, and I think happens a lot, and we've seen it in some of our own data, judgment. The more educated you are, the more your judgment can actually get in your way. You're trained to make decisions, to be right, to do all these things. And so it starts to create this noise-canceling headphones, a brick wall in front of you, and you can't see beyond it. So in the five steps to empathy, dismantling judgment is the first thing to do. And the next one is to ask good questions. And then you have to actively listen. You've got to really be present and in that conversation, hear what somebody's saying, read the body language, react to that. And then you've got to integrate into understanding. And so that is getting into, well, I maybe have not seen racism, however it might exist. You, know, you have to accept that there are other states of being, there are other ways that people have experienced the world, and that's okay. A less threatening analogy that I use is just around favorite flavors of ice cream. I happen to love chocolate ice cream. Other people happen to like vanilla. And that's okay. I should actually try to be curious about what it is about vanilla that they really enjoy so that I can learn something myself. And maybe if I'm in a role at a job where I have to create a new vanilla flavor of something, by being curious about why somebody else likes it, I can actually start to imagine, and that's step five, using solution imagination, I can start to step into their shoes and imagine what it's like to be them. But you've got to go through, and all of those steps happen you know, in the moment, in a flash, while you're having an interaction or an engagement with somebody. Another common misperception about empathy is that by seeing somebody else's point of view, I have to give up my own beliefs and values and belief system. And that's not the case. Having cognitive empathy with somebody is recognizing how they see the world. And it doesn't mean you accept it. It doesn't mean that you embrace it, but it's like, okay, so here's an individual who has never seen racism in their life. And therefore they are challenged to think that it exists. So if I'm going to try to persuade them and, you know, empathy helps you with persuasion, if I'm going to help you persuade you to see this point of view, I'm starting to understand where the barrier is. They've just never seen it. Let me tell you a story about racism and how racism shows up. And you use the story of one in order to help make that argument. There are times and situations where sometimes it is just better to walk away if you're able to, but in a workplace, you can't always do that. These are the people that are forced into this existence that we've got. They're either in an office or on the Zoom calls. And so you've got to figure out how to get along and cognitive empathy can help you do that. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Doesn't mean you have to adopt their perspective as your own permanently, but if you can see the world through their eyes, it will help you understand how to communicate with them, how to persuade them of another way of being of what might be true for somebody else. It can be tempting to think that by treating someone how I would want to be treated, I'm being fair. But the problem is that how I want to be treated is going to be a product of my experiences, my identity, my privileges, my challenges. These are unique to me and they're not neutral. If I want to be truly fair and equitable, I need to ground my treatment of others in their experiences, their identity, their needs, not in mine. While we may never completely know someone else's experience, we can listen and we can believe them when they tell us their story. Here Rob shares the practice he calls the story of one, which each of us can use to build our empathy muscles. 
the story of one's really good when you are trying to help people overcome their judgment or to integrate into their understanding. So let's take current events right now and, and I'll use Ukraine and the invasion that's happening and the maternity ward that got bombed. And you hear that and you hear that, I don't know what the exact number is, but you heard a lot of people died. That is a number, it's data, it's up in your head. It's almost too big to know how to like kind of wrap your head around it, to even be motivated to do something. You're like, oh my God, that's just, it's horrible. And I'm not sure what to do. But then when you saw, as we saw certainly here in the States, and I'm sure you did as well, you saw that photo of that woman on the stretcher who had been in the bombing. And suddenly there was a person that was there. And then we found out, I think it was about a week or two later that she and her unborn baby had passed. And suddenly there's one person and it becomes very human and it becomes very real. There was a photo of a woman and she was standing there in tears as an older woman. And there were three bodies that had looked like they had been there for a few days. There were three bodies that she was standing over. And the two of them, I think, were relatives and another was an associate. And it just makes it so much more human and it inspires you to do something because it hits you in the heart. And you start to have, I think, emotional empathy. You can start to imagine yourself in that situation and in that moment. So that's where the story of one, to tell one story, one experience, you can start to relate to that and then marry that up with, okay, here's the story of this one pregnant woman who was injured and then ultimately died from that mortar attack in Ukraine. And she's just one of many that were there. So suddenly you get the sense of magnitude of the problem but it's the story of one that really connects. And those two things work together and they can create really powerful conviction so that you are motivated to take action and do something about it. There are so many pitfalls when it comes to demonstrating empathy effectively. For example, when someone shares a challenge or difficult experience, you have to make sure that you're not centering yourself in their story by getting too emotional and making it all about you. But at the same time, you also want to make sure that you're not repeating what they told you like a robot just to somehow demonstrate that you heard them or that you're putting a positive spin on what was said to try and make them feel better, but it feels inauthentic. Here Rob shares how to avoid some of these common pitfalls when demonstrating empathy. You have to do what is comfortable and right for you and it really what feels authentic. However, when we're, we're doing empathy training, we encourage our clients, if you're getting to that point of using solution imagination, of getting to a place of empathy, you can start a sentence, I can see your point of view and restate that point of view or repeat that point of view to the other person so that they are then in agreement. Yes, you've got this. You're hearing what I'm hearing. Or you can say, I can imagine how that must have felt for you. The trick is not to then make it about yourself. Empathy is about the other person and it's this connection that you're having and you're showing support for the other person. You're feeling with them or you're seeing your point of view. It is an equal playing field, but it's not about you. And that's something that I see happen quite a bit. People are like, oh yes, I know what that feels like. Here's what happened to me. And then they end up making it about themselves and they tell a story about themselves. And Instead, keep it focused on the person you're trying to have empathy with. I can imagine how that must have felt when 
such and such event happened and you're repeating back what that was. And if you're not able to feel the feels and get down into the emotional space, it's okay. Try to keep it at a cognitive level. I can see your point of view. I can see what that must have done to you. I can see that you're struggling right now. Those are all empathetic statements. You know, I can see that you're struggling right now. How can I support you? That's an incredibly empathetic approach to engaging with somebody. One of the gifts from the past two years has been all of this reflection that we've been able to do on what we want out of our lives and how we show up and what we want our workplace to even be like. And we're realizing that we're not automatons. We're not just productivity robots. We're actually real people and we need to be treated as real people. And we deserve that. Whether it's white collar or blue collar employees, it's happening all up and down the industry. I think the pandemic, along with all the other events, George Floyd's murder, the protests, all the other world events, elections and things, has brought all of that out. And we're saying enough is enough. I deserve to be treated like a human being. Finally, Rob shares one action that we can all take to put empathy into practice every day. You can't get to empathy if you're being judgmental. And there's a difference. And again, judgment like empathy has multiple facets. So there's making a judgment. Do I walk down that dark alley or not? But then there's being judgmental, which is the casting aspersion against somebody else coming from your own biases, your stereotypes, your lived experiences that you're carrying. If we can get people to not be judgmental in their interactions with each other, that would be a huge first step. The way I write about it in my book, the judgment is like a brick wall. It gets in your way. If you don't dismantle the brick wall, it's you know endlessly high. You're not going to just jump over it. You've got to be able to get beyond it and you've got to dismantle it in order to get beyond that obstacle and get towards judgment. And if you can't do that, the rest of the steps, you can't do it because everything that you're doing is then being clouded by this judgment, by these biases, by these stereotypes, by these thoughts that you've got. I really hope you enjoyed Rob's insights as much as we did. For those of us who lead teams, I wanted to share some of the ways that we can lead with empathy. Based on research by the Centre for Creative Leadership, there are four ways to demonstrate more empathetic leadership at work. First, watch for signs of burnout in others. Work burnout is a real problem today and it comes at greater risk during times of intense stress and pressure. Many people are stressed putting in more work hours than ever before and finding it difficult to separate work and home life. Managers who are skilled at empathetic leadership are able to recognise signs of overwork in others before burnout becomes an issue that results in disengagement or turnover. This might mean taking a few extra minutes each week to check in with team members and gauge how they're handling their current workload. Second, demonstrate a sincere interest in the needs, hopes and dreams of other people. Part of leading with empathy involves working to understand the unique needs and goals of each team member and how to best match work assignments to contribute to both performance and employee satisfaction. Team members who see that their manager recognises them in this way are more engaged and willing to go the extra mile. Third, provide support to employees. Lines between work and personal life are becoming increasingly blurred. Empathetic leaders understand that their team members are dynamic individuals who are shouldering personal problems while having to maintain their professional responsibilities. They recognise that it's part of their role to lead and support those team members when they need it most. Keeping open lines of communication and encouraging transparency 
is a good way to foster psychological safety and help team members feel comfortable sharing when it's necessary. Fourth, show compassion when other people disclose a personal loss. Real connections and friendships at work matter, and empathetic leadership is a tool that managers can use to establish bonds with those they're privileged to lead. We've all been through personal loss, so even if we can't relate to the specific loss our team member experiences, we can act empathetically and let them know they're supported. Thank you for tuning into our episode today. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a quick one before you go. If you love our podcast and you'd like more from us, then hit subscribe now and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.